John 6, 1 through 5. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were deceased. And Jesus went up, up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. To those of you who are visiting, we always want you to feel welcome. We're glad that you're here tonight. We trust that our time spent together will be profitable. We appreciate so much the opportunity to be together. For the songs that we have been privileged to sing as God's people, for the prayer that has been offered. And now as we look at John chapter 6, we're going to be talking about the bread of life. When you look at John chapter 6, there is a lot of information contained in this one chapter. And we're not going to have time to look at all of the information that's in this chapter. There are a lot of lessons that could be gleaned as a result of studying this chapter. But I want us to draw some of the truths that are contained in this account written by the hand of John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, we find Jesus having traveled east on the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of Tiberias. He came to Bethsaida. And it was there that he fed some 5,000 plus people with five barley loaves and two small fish, what would have typically been called a sack lunch, a very inexpensive lunch at that. Jesus, having fed the multitudes of people, no doubt made an impression upon many of those who were present because in verse 14, some of those made this statement, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. I think that they were acknowledging the fact that they believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that being the Messiah. And when you look at the miracles that Jesus performed, each and every miracle authenticated his claims, really underscoring the fact that he was the divine son of God. And here were people that on this occasion, they bought into what he was saying. They believed that he was who he claimed to be. In verses 15 and following, we read of Jesus and the disciples or apostles making their way west toward Capernaum. And we're not going to talk about Jesus walking on the water, but we find when he gets to Capernaum, the people, the multitudes that had been present over in Bethsaida, they followed him and his disciples. And it is at this juncture that we have some great truths that emerge out of a study of John chapter 6, particularly as they relate to Jesus being the bread of life. And this is one of the great I am chapters in the scriptures. There are numerous statements that have been made by Jesus, recorded by John, and those statements begin by saying, I am. Seven I am statements in the gospel according to John. And in this chapter, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life. And there are three things I want to share with you as a result of this study. First of all, I want to submit unto you that Jesus will give substance to your life. How do I know that? Well, I believe that that is borne out of the lessons that he sets forth in this chapter. That's just one lesson. There are a lot of great lessons, but Jesus has the ability 
to give substance to your life. When we talk about Jesus giving substance to your life, really what we're emphasizing is the fact that he has the ability to give purpose, direction, or focus in your life. I want to begin by asking this question. I think it's a question that every person needs to answer at some point in time in life. And that is this. Is what you are living and laboring for in life going to last? Let that sink in for a minute. Is what you're living and laboring for in this life going to last? There are a lot of people in our world, they're looking in a lot of places, trying to find purpose, direction, substance, if you please, to life. Look, if you would, at verse 26. Listen to what Jesus says. The disciples, of course, they're in Capernaum. Jesus is now in Capernaum. The multitudes followed him. And they were really following him, not so much because they believed him to be the Son of God, but they were following him because of the signs and not necessarily because of the results of the signs that they had seen, but they were in it for what they could get out of him. And so in verse 26, here's what Jesus says to these people. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. There's the idea. They were following him for what they could get out of him, materially speaking. Now note verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Jesus here is saying, do not labor for those things that wear out or perish in this life. What you and I need to do, what the people in Jesus' day needed to do, they needed to buy in to something that had some substance to it. And so there are three things I would share with you along these lines. Number one, we as individuals, we must buy in to the Christian system, that is, to the Christian lifestyle. What is it we're trying to sell people in this community? What are we trying to sell people in the world? We're trying to sell them on the gospel. What we're trying to do is say, look, there's a better way of life than what the world has to offer. There are a lot of people in our world today, they haven't been sold on that idea. There are a lot of people in the church they wear the name of a Christian, they've been baptized into Christ, but they really haven't, as we say, bought into Christianity. They haven't let Christianity get a hold of their lives. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter two at verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you look at the life of Paul, there was a transformation that took place in his life. That transformation occurred because he bought into Christianity. In Acts chapter 9, we read of, we read of Paul coming in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord asked him in the long ago, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church of Almighty God. He was binding Christians, 
delivering them to be put to death in many instances. And yet there was a transformation that took place in his life. He bought in to Christianity. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, as he neared the end of this life, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. He said, I have fought the good fight. Now listen to him. I have kept the faith. Paul bought into that system of faith. That is the faith that's been once for all delivered. He believed it. He lived it. He cherished it. And so what you and I have to do, we have to encourage people to buy into the Christian system. And if you haven't bought into the Christian way of life, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to understand that Christianity, it has everything that you need to be successful in this life, to give your life sub substance, to give your life validity. There is a second thing that I would set before you along these lines. Not only must we buy into the Christian system, but we must bank with the Christian system. Now Jesus said, do not labor for the food which perishes. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, what are they laboring for? It's all about the here and now. The only thing they're concerned with is the next day. There are a lot of people they're concerned about today, they're concerned about tomorrow, but they're not concerned about the hereafter. What you and I need to do is to bank with the Christian system. That is, we need to be doing banking with the divine banker, that being Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But he said, rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think for a moment about the banking system. Most of us, we have a bank account, don't we? And we understand that we can make deposits and then based on our deposits, we can make withdrawals. Look at life. If the Lord is on our side, if we're banking in heaven, if we're, if we're making deposits in that heavenly bank, so to speak, then we can make withdrawals when we need them, can't we? Is it not the case that the Lord is always at our side? In John chapter 6, we find Jesus saying to the disciples who were fearful while on the sea, he said, it is I, do not be afraid. What do you and I have to fear if the Lord's on our side? Did Jesus not say, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper? God is at our side. And so we have the opportunity to bank with a heavenly system. We have the opportunity to buy into Christianity and to bank with that Christian system. Having said all of that, look at the countless numbers of people in our world today the sole focus of life is where? It's on those things that perish. Jesus said, do not labor for the food which perishes. Jesus is telling these people in the first century, look, you want to enjoy a, a life that has some quality and substance to it? Then you better start laboring for that which endures. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the apostle Paul would say to those who were rich in his day, 
He said, charge them that are rich in this present world not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And I believe that those of us who have bought into the Christian system, we understand the importance of banking with heaven. And we understand the importance of laying up treasures in heaven. Our focus is where? It's in heaven. It's not here on this earth. Look at all the things that come, that come upon us on a daily basis. What is it that enables us to persevere, to get through the trials and the difficulties and the troubles of life? It's the Lord. It's the fact that there's something better that awaits us. There's a third thing that I would call your attention to along these lines. We ask the question, is what you're living and laboring for in life, is it going to last? Well, you better buy into the Christian system. You better bank with the Christian system. And then I would suggest in the third place that there are blessings to be had in the Christian system. I wish we had time to just go through the scriptures and look in a very detailed way at all of the blessings that we enjoy in Christianity. If someone were to ask you to sum up Christianity, what Christianity means to you in five minutes or less, could you do that? If somebody were to ask you, why should I be a Christian? I mean, what's the intrinsic value of me becoming a child of God? In Ephesians 1 verse 3, the Apostle Paul said that every spiritual blessing known to mankind resides in Christ Jesus. There are spiritual blessings in Christ that cannot be bought in this world. Now Jesus said, labor not for the food which perishes. You and I we can't buy those spiritual treasures that belong in Christ. But through our obedience to the gospel, we can tap in to a plethora of blessings. The psalmist in the long ago said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. We sing the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I would challenge you, sit down and make a list of all the blessings you enjoy in Christ Jesus. We talk about having a life filled with some substance. The treasures and the pleasures and the things of this world. What's going to happen to those things, those things at some point in time in life? They're going, to, they're going to wear out. They're going to rust out. They're going to corrupt. They're going to be corrupted, rather. They're going to, they're going to pass away with time. But you can buy into something that will never fade away. So, Jesus will give substance to your life. There's a second thing I would call your attention to. And that is the fact that Jesus will save your life. Did you know that Jesus has the ability to save your life? Jesus can save your life from ruin. I believe he can save your life from ruin physically and spiritually most importantly. Well, you might ask the question, how so? Well, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to pardon every sin in your life. There are two things I want to share with you along these lines. First of all, let me suggest unto you that Jesus came to save you. Maybe we need to look at this from an individual vantage point. Jesus came to earth, and typically we say he came to earth to save the world, and he did. But am I not a part of the world? Are you not a part of the world? Is Christianity not an individual thing? Is it not the case that Jesus died for me and for you? Now in John chapter 6 verse 38, listen to what Jesus said to the Jews of his day. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to earth with you in mind. He came to redeem you from the scourge of sin. Jesus came to literally give himself as a sin offering for you. Now in Romans chapter five, at verse six, Paul said, while we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about us. In Romans chapter five, at verse eight, he said, but God commendeth his own love toward us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. God commends, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, listen to him, died for us. You remember what Paul said in Galatians 2 verse 20? He spoke of Christ and being crucified to Christ and he said he loved me. That's individually. Paul is saying, well, from an individual vantage point, Paul is saying the Lord loved me. Individually speaking, the Lord loves us as individuals of the human family. So Jesus came to save you. Listen to the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save you. But here's the second thing. Not only did Jesus come to save you, Jesus can save you. And I, need, I think we need to emphasize that. Jesus not only came to save you, Jesus can save you. Having said that, look if you would at verse 28. In verse 28, they said to him, that is the people of that day, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Well, you have to ask the question. How many signs do I need to, to, to perform for you to get the point that I am who I claim to be? I'm the son of God. Jesus had just, he had just fed some 5,000 plus people with a sack lunch. If that's not enough, enough to get your attention, I don't know what will. But here's what they said in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, Give us this bread always. Now back in John chapter 4 when Jesus talked to that Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, you remember he asked her for a drink of water. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to you, give me something to drink, you would have asked and he said, I would give you living water. Well, she thought that what Jesus was talking about was, if you'll drink from this well, then I won't ever have to come back and draw water again. That wasn't what Jesus was talking about. He was simply using a symbol. And so he was trying to convey to her that if she would partake of that living water, she could live forever. That's all Jesus is saying here. He's using a figure of speech. And so they say, Lord, give us this bread always. And so in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Now again, here were people that were living in disbelief. They didn't believe that they were in the presence of the Son of God. They didn't understand that Jesus was God's only begotten Son. Down in verse 41, the Jews murmured against him, and they said, they said in reaction to what he had claimed about being the bread of life, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? You see, they didn't understand he was the Messiah. If they had only understood what some of those other people had said over in Bethsaida, that this is indeed the prophet, the true prophet that comes into the world. Well, Jesus here is saying, I'm the bread of life. You want to enjoy life? You better partake of me. You better come to me. Now, I said a moment ago that Jesus came to save you, but he can also save you. He came to save you, but he can save you. Why emphasize that? Because there are some people in our world today, they believe they are beyond the scope of human redemption. How many of you watched the show, The Biggest Loser? You ever watch that program? Well, it's an interesting program. The thrust of the program is to see who loses the most weight. Well, that's not what I'm talking about in this context. There are some people, spiritually speaking, they view themselves as the biggest loser. They think they are beyond redemption. They have the idea that there is no way they can be saved. That there's no way the Lord would bless them with the riches of salvation. That is not true. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I don't care how far down, how far down the ladder you may be. I don't care how deep you may be in a life of sin, the Lord can redeem you. But you've got to turn to him. Let me give you some examples. Go back to John chapter 4. When Jesus talked to that Samaritan woman, you remember what he instructed her to do? He said, go and call your husband. And she said, sir, I don't have a husband. He said, you've said you said the right thing there because you've had five husbands. The man you now have, he said, he's not your husband. She was living with a man. And yet, what did Jesus do? He radically impacted the life of that woman. She went back to her own people and said, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. Look at John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we read of the scribes and the Pharisees bringing a woman to Jesus. And the text says she was caught in the very act of adultery. They brought this woman to Jesus. And you know what they wanted him, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to have her stoned. I don't think they were really interested in truth, because based on the law of Moses, both the man and the woman should have been stoned. But they brought the woman before Jesus. They tried to put him in, in a dilemma, as we would say. Well, Jesus made an impression on that woman. He told her to go and sin no more. So Jesus impacted 
Lots of lives. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus went into the home of Matthew, Levi. Matthew was a tax collector. You remember what the scribes and the Pharisees said, the religious leaders of that day? They wanted to know, why does your teacher eat with publicans and sinners? Why would he stoop to that level? What did Jesus say? He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Are you a sinner? Do you stand in need of the grace of God? Guess what? The great physician can help you. You need the great physician. You need somebody that can attend to your spiritual malady. That spiritual malady is called sin. Look at the life of the apostle Paul. Look again at what Paul said to Timothy. He said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the, into the world to save sinners. Now listen to him. Of whom I am chief. Paul was simply saying, if you want to open the dictionary and you want to look up the word sinner, my picture is going to be right beside it. I am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul was saying. But Paul would also say, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he was writing to some people that had been upside down, as we say, in, in, in a life of sin. He was writing to people that had been living in adultery, in idolatry, in fornication. He was talking to people that had been caught up in homosexuality. He was writing to people that had been drunkards. Some were thieves. Some were extortioners. Some were revilers. But he said they had been washed. And so when he wrote his second letter in chapter 5, verse 21, here's what he said to those people. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Christ came to save you and Christ can save you. If you're lost, please hear me very carefully. If you're lost, if I'm lost, Whose fault will it be? Won't be the Lord's fault. Won't be God the Father's fault. It won't be the Holy Spirit's fault who revealed this word to us. It will be our fault because we turned a deaf ear to the teaching of the Son of God. And let me just say this. We can come to the services every week. We can come to Bible class. We can come to, to worship. We can be among the people of God and still be lost. And so we want to make sure that we are living the kind of life that the Lord would have us to live. There's a third thing that I want, to, I want you to see in our study. And that is that Jesus will give security to your life. And this is really one of the great promises of Almighty God. Look at verses 39 and 40. Here's what Jesus said. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but that I should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus here talking about the day of judgment. In verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets. They shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard 
and learn from the Father comes to me. Note the order there. We learn about the Father, we learn about the Father, we learn about Jesus, we develop a system of faith, and then what happens? We turn, we turn to him in simple trusting obedience. But now having said that, look at verse 47. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Drop down and look at verse 53. Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus here, talking about responding to him, Jesus gave his life, he gave his body for our sins, he gave his blood so that we might enjoy the remission of sins and Jesus is simply saying, unless you buy into me, unless you obey me and live according to my word, you're gonna be lost. But if you buy into Christianity, you live for me, what's gonna happen? He said, I'll raise you up at the last day. You'll enjoy everlasting life. Did you know that you and I, we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began? Look at verse 58. In verse 58, Jesus said, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Let's just pause here for a moment. One day Jesus will come again. When he comes, what's going to happen? Well, according to the scriptures, he's going to raise the dead. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, Marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation or con condemnation. Jesus affirming the fact that one day the cemeteries will be opened. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And then he said this, I have the keys to Hades and death. One day Jesus is going to take the keys, put them in the doors of the cemeteries, and opened them. Sometimes we ask the question, what will my body be like in the resurrection? The Bible teaches that the physical body will be raised. Jesus said that much in John chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, Paul said, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So one thing is for sure. The body that we now have will not be the same body that is raised from the dead. But now Paul said that when Jesus comes, he said that he will come, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And then he said, we shall be changed. He said this change will occur in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. When Jesus unlocks the doors of the cemeteries, the dead are going to rise. Now we have a lot of questions about the body that's going to be raised I believe that those who die in Christ, as Solomon said, the spirit returns to God who gave it life. Those who die prior to the coming of Jesus, they go to the 
to the realm known as Hades. The righteous go to paradise, Abraham's bosom. The unrighteous, they go to a place called Tartarus. When Jesus comes, he will bring with him those who are asleep, that is, those who have long since departed this world. That, that soul, that spirit will be reunited with the body. And then we will stand before him in the judgment. But I say all of that to emphasize this point. Jesus is saying in John chapter 6, look, you want to enjoy everlasting life? You want to have a home with me in heaven? Here's what you need to do. You need to obey me. You need to be receptive to me as the bread of life. Unfortunately, many of those who were present on this occasion, they turned their back on him. John tells us in verse 60 that some of those present on that occasion said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? In verse 66, John makes this commentary on the events that occurred. He said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus asked the 12, do you also want to go away? Listen to what Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think there's a great lesson there for us. And that lesson is this. Do not be careless with your faith. Do not throw your faith away. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer there said, Cast not away your confidence, which has great reward. There are some people that treat their spiritual life with Jesus with contempt. There are some people that are careless when it comes to their relationship to the Lord. What would cause you to throw your faith away? Why would you throw your faith away? Look at, look at the people on this occasion. We say, it never happened to me. You may say, it'll never happen to me. Here were people that had been disciples of Jesus. They had followed him. And yet they get to this point in time in their lives and they leave him. Let me tell you what, there are a lot of people. A lot of people that have treated their spiritual life carelessly. And in so doing, they have become spiritually bankrupt. Jesus talked about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Well, why do you think some people throw their faith away? You ever wondered that? What, what would cause you to turn your back on the Lord? Problems? trials, tribulations? Would you give your faith, would you give your faith up because you've been through some tough times in life? Don't say it can't happen to me because Jesus said that there are some who because of tribulation and persecution, they become unfaithful. Some people throw their faith away because of the world. They're looking for that momentary pleasure, that momentary brief bit of excitement. I promise you, there is nothing in this world worth you throwing your faith away. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying here?
We talk about where the rubber meets the road. This is life and death. This is real stuff, as we say in our world. There are people in the Lord's church that treat their faith carelessly. How do I know that? Let me just reel off for you some ways that I know that. Number one, I know it because of the way they're living. I know it because when opportunities arise to come together on the first day of the week to meet with the saints, they're not here. They may be here Sunday morning, but they're not back here Sunday night. They're stragglers. And some are here one Sunday night and not back again the next Sunday night. Some are careless when it comes to their reading of the Word of God. Maybe they read it today, maybe they read it tomorrow, then maybe they don't pick it up again for another two weeks. You're careless with your faith. The world will encroach your faith. Some are careless with their prayer life. And then there are some who are careless because, for whatever reason, and please listen to me, they don't ever pay attention during the worship services. When the word of God is being proclaimed, they're talking, they're passing notes, they're laughing, they're looking at something else, but they're not paying attention. You ask the question, how do I know that? Because I'm right here and you're out there. I see some folks talking all the time. I see some folks not paying attention. You know what? It's sad that we come together and some people don't care enough about the Lord to pay attention. They don't care enough. I hope you care. I hope that you understand that what we're talking about, this is life and death. When you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, please tell the Lord you heard the truth. You knew the truth, but you chose not to follow it. And if you don't mind, tell him I told you that because I don't want the blood to be on my hands. I want to tell it straight up. My interest is in your eternal soul. I do not want to see anybody lost. But the sad truth of the matter is there are some folks that are going to be lost. Call it bad seed, call it whatever you want to call it. There are some folks, they're not interested in salvation. They're not interested in Christianity and some folks may even be members of the church and they're not interested. And how sad that is. Well, the Lord can give you security in this life. I want you to go to heaven. I try my best and my best isn't good enough on many occasions. But I try my best to encourage people to follow the Lord. I know that there are occasions when people walk out of the assembly and they should have responded, but they didn't. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation and you don't, there will come a day
when you will regret having never obeyed the gospel. You will regret not listening. You will regret not making the decision to become a child of a living God. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, you know who you are. You know what you need to do. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, we have the privilege of praying with you and for you. Don't leave this assembly in a lost condition. Don't leave here knowing that your soul is in jeopardy. I want to close by saying this. You know, there are some folks, they wouldn't dream of going to Tunica and gambling with their money. You know what I'm saying? They would never in a million years think about going down to Tunica and gambling with their paycheck. But here's the irony. Every single day they gamble with their soul. They gamble with it. The gamble is I'm banking on being here tomorrow, on being here next week, on being here next month, on being here next year. You know what James said? Life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. There are people in eternity right now that woke up this morning just like you and me. They ate breakfast. They drank coffee. They read the paper. Maybe they went to worship. Maybe they didn't. And right now, they're in eternity. So don't tell me it can't happen because it does happen. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do so tonight. Come to Jesus, believing that he is the Son of God. Be willing to be baptized into Christ so that every sin might be washed away. And then live faithfully. If you're unfaithful, we beg, we plead, we encourage. Come home tonight as we stand and sing.